travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the laughter. <laughs> the heroes. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go Ghostbusters. And the honesty. What's up, Norm? My nipples. It's freezing out there. <laughs> because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Steve Spears was stuck in the 80s. And I know that we promised no more 80s News Now shows. But we're back with great topics, a special guest, and yes, another episode of 80s News Now. You know, I can't believe this, Why? I'm so disappointed in this. I mean, all we ever do is sit around and talk about how great it would be if we went to parties, right? And and now it's our party, and there are hundreds of people here having a great time, and we're in the churn. We're in the churn. I can't believe it. With me as always, he's been in the bathroom for about a half an hour, but he assures me he's just combing his hair. It's Brad from L.A. Of, of, of course, I was combing my hair. Now, did we did we actually promise no '80s news now show, or did we say we'd cut back? I think you and I sort of said we were promising. I don't think we revealed it to the listeners. Uh, so we're only breaking a promise to ourselves, well, which means I, I think of it more of a guideline than a rule. <laughs> well, so much has happened lately. Um, in the 80s world, as uh, which isn't always the ordinary, and we just kind of figured, hey, instead of banging out, uh, waiting forever and banging out an hour and a half show, let's just give them some nice tidbits to hold them over. Amen to that, brother. You ready to get started? Let's do this, then. You stupid buttwad. For me? Know what time it is? Um, two? Time to pay the fiddler. The John Hughes, just barely a classic 80s flick, Weird Science, is about to get a remake. Seriously. As we reported on the blog last week, Universal Pictures and Silver Pictures will remake the 1985 movie starring Anthony Michael Hall and Ian Mitchell Smith as two geeks who create a sexpot goddess, played by the still sexy Kelly LeBrock, using their home computer like we have all never thought of that before. So... What would you little maniacs like to do first? Uh, if there's an upside to this news, it's that Michael Bacall will handle the script. You might know his name from 21 Jump Street, the remake, which means that uh, I'm guessing the Weird Science remake is going to be at least PG-13, if not an R rating. What do you think, Mr. Brad? Uh, I, think that'll, I think they'll find a way to get that into our land. Uh, the nudity alone should do it, don't yeah, you think? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Let me ask you this. Of all of John Hughes' movies – is this the most easy one to remake or the most difficult to remake? Well, I think it's the easiest. I think, you know, Weird Science is very by the numbers. Um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, um, John Hughes says he wrote this in a weekend or in an evening. or I'm surprised it took him that yeah, long. Yeah, in the afternoon while waiting for his second gin and tonic to be delivered. There's nothing there that's like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be really hard to get that characterization right. or that It's just, you know, the characters are pretty broad. Uh, right. I, I think there's a lot there. I think that you could do something with it. So I'm I'm not I'm not horribly upset about this. 
I think it, I think it'll depend on the actors. I think the reason it worked the first time, because I think that the plot is so ridiculously average that. Yeah, and I know no, you, I know you hate the, uh, technology used in ridiculous <laughs> ways, uh, plot trope. Yeah. Like always, they made a computer always. by scanning a picture of Albert Einstein, so therefore the person that came out of it was smart. Right, right. But I think, I think what made the movie good the first time around was Anthony Michael Hall was great. He was amazing. And so was Robert Downey Jr. in the small role that he had. And I think if you, if you take this movie and you try to put it in the hands of lesser actors, you're going to have a movie that nobody wants to watch. Yeah. I mean, there's always downside available anytime you do this, but I, I think in this case, there's upside. So here's something I found. I got a question for you. Is this the first uh, remake of a John Hughes movie? No, well, do you know the answer to this? I do. This a trick? I do know the answer to this. Oh shoot, it's a trick question. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it's not, but I can't tell you what it is. Well, you're saying not, it's not because of the way I asked the question, but because <laughs> you're grinning, yeah, I am, and I can't even you see. You can hear my smile. Uh, Uncle Buck was remade in India. No, and it's called like Uncle Bug. I, I, any other movie. I mean, you could have given me like 30 guesses and he only made 20 movies and I still wouldn't have guessed Uncle Buck. Yep. What can Jeez. I tell you? I know. It's crazy. I just found that out today while uh, doing a small yeah. bit of research for the show. You know, we, I'm sorry, not Uncle Bug. Uncle Bug. How can I say that? It was Uncle Bun. Oh, I like Uncle Bug better. I, yeah, Uncle oh, Bug. I would that. Say with that. that. Say with that. I do know that Weird Science was a TV show in the 90s, which I never saw. And it was made without the involvement of John Hughes. I wonder, since his passing, I wonder if his family even gets a say. I'm guess I'm guessing that they don't. Yeah, I don't like know. They, I mean, they I, may have paid a visit to him, like you know, hat in hand, saying, "Hey, you know, we're going to do this. We'd like to do it with your blessing." As a courtesy. Yeah, I don't know. If you want to be a party animal, you have to learn to live in the jungle. So you're saying thumbs down on a Weird Science remake? No, no, no. I'm saying I think it... I, you're saying thumbs down on a Weird Science remake. Obviously, I'm saying thumbs down. I, of course, I would never support the remake of a classic from our beloved decade, Steve. Good. Is that good. the right answer? That's it. Then moving on now. So, Spearsy, have you been watching the National Geographic, uh, the 80s uh, decade that made us uh, miniseries? No. What? Um, as you know, I have no cable here at the Lair, which is to say that I have Bright House cable, and it doesn't work with a dam. So the Nat Geo channel looks like a slideshow when I turn it on. So <laughs> I have not seen it. Tell me, how is it? Uh, you know what? It's pretty good. It's uh, somewhat based on uh, David, the David Sirota book, uh, Back to Our Future, How the 80s Explain the World We Live in Now. I don't know if you've read that. Uh, no. No, because those words on pages are hard to uh, comprehend. Um, it's narrated by Rob Lowe. Uh, nice. Six, six hours, and uh, it's pretty good. It's a little different than, you know, if you come into it remembering the VH1, I Love the 80s, and the follow-on series to that, you know, that was very pop culture focused. And this is a little more, uh, a little more serious. Um, it's interesting some of the tie-ins they try and make, like they, they tie the conspicuous consumption, they try and tie that to the Cold War and the threat of thermonuclear war. It's like, well, of course everyone was spending all their money because we all thought we were going to die tomorrow. 
some of the pacing has been a little odd. Like they spend about 15 seconds talking about Bill Gates and Microsoft, and then they spend, uh, you know, 10 minutes with Jane Fonda talking about her workout videos. Oh, jeez. How, how do we come off? I mean, do we come off sympathetic? Yeah, I think it's been pretty, I I think it's pretty sympathetic. I mean, I think it's an honest view. It's not all, uh, not all sunshine and roses. They talk about, you know, where America was. It's definitely focused on the United States. It talks about where the United States was at the beginning of the 80s and they, they kick off the series with Miracle on Ice, which that stuff, that gets to me every time, you know. I remember, I I remember watching that game in my, you know, townhouse (laughs) in front of the 18 inch television and, you know, in the den. Yeah. Um, and then they, you know, they cover a lot, they cover a lot of stuff. They cover some pop culture things. They talk a little bit about, uh, you know, like I said, definitely MTV is in there. They had a long segment with Run DMC talking about the birth of hip hop and rap. Does it, does it focus more on um, American history? I mean, does it bring in the British it's invasion? It's very American centric. And there's almost no, yeah. uh, almost no pop culture like music stuff. Uh, the music topics yeah. I can remember off the top of my head, they spent some time talking about Madonna. Yeah. There's uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Run DMC, which I mentioned, and they talked with Aerosmith, you know, about their their uh, collaboration on Walk This Way, but not a lot of the kind of things that we talk about on this show. Like uh, not, Knight Rider gets a gets a mention. Uh, there's a short thing on Back to the Future, and uh, but that plays into more to how Reagan pulled in some Back to the Future quotes into one of his State of the Union addresses. As they said in the film, Back to the Future, where are we going? We don't need roads. It's worth a look. I mean, you well, know, if if you ever get your TV working again, National Geographic Channel doesn't have a lot of content, so this is still this is still running <laughs> here and there. Well, if they need content, I know a podcast they can buy. Let's just put it that way. No fee is too big. You ready to move on? Absolutely. We move on. Chrissy Amphlett, the lead singer of the 80s Australian rock band Divinals, died Sunday at her home in New York City. She was 53. To honor Chrissy and her legacy, we're proud to bring back Oz in the 80s, featuring a live conversation this time with Stuck in the 80s longtime friend in Australia, Dave Featherston. Are you ready? Take it away, Dave. Hi, Stephen Brad. Today we're going to take a couple of minutes to mark the sad passing of one of 80s greatest rock queens, Chrissy Amphlett. Chrissy finally succumbed to cancer and multiple sclerosis in New York this week, and her death was marked with front page stories in many major newspapers across Australia. She formed the Divinals with Mark McEntee in 1980 in Sydney and released her first single, Boys in Town, in September 1981. David, uh, tell me how old you were when you first heard the Divinals. Well, I'm giving my age away here, but I was uh, just turned 18. It was 1981, and it was my last day of high school. Um, I saw Chrissy at a, at a club in Sydney. Uh, at that stage, she was still in her schoolgirl uniform persona, and that was something that made every teenage boy at the time go a little weak at the knees. She was bad, but was she good? 
what's the story behind the schoolgirl image? I mean, was that something that she maintained consistently over the beginning of the band, or is that something that sort of evolved? And, and as time went on, did she sort of let that go? Yeah, I think it was a bit of a, and if I can use the word slutty uh, persona that she <laughs> as she put on, and it really was the the driving force that, that made them the the presence that were on stage, both live um, and and in the video clips that she um, that she released. Now I know that the the Divinals were had a, had a series of minor hits in Australia in the eighties, but uh, their greatest chart success, at least in the United States, was in nineteen ninety one with "I Touch Myself." I, I believe it reached number one on the Australian charts and got to number four on the U.S. charts. Yeah, it did. And it was interesting with that song that I was uh, reading today that uh, that song was so controversial that during one show that the Divinals were playing in in Texas, I believe, in about ninety three. The show was uh, was turned off halfway through, through that song because it was a little too racy for the uh, concert organisers. So I mean, I, I kind of expect that with Texas, but. You know, not knowing as much about Australia, was was it as controversial there? No, not at all, not at all. I mean, don't, don't forget that, um, interestingly enough, that that song was one of the only songs, uh, one of the only hits of the Divinals that wasn't written by, by Chrissy and Mark, and it was actually written by the same team that wrote Like a Virgin and uh, Eternal Flame, the, the Bangles song. And so they were both hits in Australia. So, you know, we're, we're not, not backward in, uh, in liking the more racy songs. So like something like Cindy Lauper's Shebop probably wouldn't have even raised an eyebrow there. We knew, we knew the song. The song charted here. I wouldn't say it got to number one though. So so look back 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 to the Divinals. They were inducted into the Aria Hall of Fame in Australia in 2006. The band did actually break up in 1997 um, after a falling out between Chrissy and Mark. They were a romantic item for quite a few years during the 80s and 90s. But after the induction of the Hall of Fame, they toured and recorded for a short while before Chrissy announced that the band was finally finished in 2009, and it was in 2010 that she uh, made the announcement that she was uh, ill with cancer. You know, she's left us way too early, and we dedicate today's I was in the 80s to her and her legacy. Hey, David, since this is our first actual Oz in the 80s live via Internet Connection to Australia, I wonder, do you have any more Oz news for us? Since this is Oz in the 80s, I'm going to put in a timely plug for a great Australian movie. Some of the podcast listeners might know that the 25th of April in Australia and New Zealand is Anzac Day. It's a day that commemorates the landing by forces of those two countries on the shores of Gallipoli in World War I in 1915 against huge numbers of Turkish soldiers. The film Gallipoli which was written and directed by Peter Weir and starred of 25-year-old Mel Gibson, was released in 1981, and it's well worth a look. It's available on Amazon, and I believe you can rent it on Netflix. Without giving too much away, there are some definite What Makes Spearsy Cry moments in that film. I bet there are. Hey, David, thanks for joining us today from Oz. Do I, am, I, am I pronouncing it right? Isn't it Oz? Oz. <laughs> you can say Oz or just Australia. <laughs> So 
that's pretty good stuff, Steve. How, how'd you pull that off? A live talk with uh, Mr. Featherston there. Uh, using the old Skype at 7.30 in the morning uh, Eastern Time and 7.30 p.m. Australian Time. So you guys are perfectly out of sync. Yeah. One way or another, one of us is going to be a little bit grumpy. But uh, I, I've wanted to have Dave on the show forever. He is the mastermind behind Oz in the 80s. He's given us a lot of help over the years. And um, uh, I hope that he returns for every Oz in the Yeah, 80s we segment. need to keep doing that. That's I think that's really good. You know what else is really good? The, the Seggies. Ah, uh, the mystical tone of reader mailbag and um, uh, stuck in A's nation done good this week, and we've got two letters to read, including the very first one from John in San Diego. Take it away, Brad. With the uh, '80s news now, you never know what segments you're going to get. So, here we go. Thank you, Brad and Steve, for keeping the podcast alive. I've been a podcast listener since 2009. Uh, Johnny, come lately. Uh, I stumbled across the podcast while researching an 80s rock musical show I was writing called Mixtape. It's a review-style theatrical show packed with 80s music mashups, movie quotes, and lots of fun nostalgia that has been running continuously in San Diego now since the summer of 2010, making it the longest-running San Diego-grown theatrical show ever. I say this... Admittedly, as a shameless plug, but mainly to express my gratitude. The podcast was a real encouragement to me during the creation of the show. It affirmed to me that there was a generation of people out there hungry to revisit the most awesome of decades. The cast and band are big fans of Stuck in the 80s, and we get to see on a nightly basis the impact of the shared legacy of the 80s for people of all ages as they laugh, swoon, sing along, and cheer. So, until your next podcast, I remain here five nights a week at 8 p.m., Stuck in the 80s. John in San Diego. Oh, my God. That's so cool. So he actually wrote a musical show called Mixtape. Yeah. That's, that's a great idea. I know. Um, I know. He left us a URL for it, too. Uh, it's mixtapethemusical.com. And I swear to God, if I'm even in that same time zone, I'm going to check that out. Yeah. Uh, my in-laws live down not too far from San Diego. So I reached out to John let him know the next time we're down there, I'm going to try and bring the bring the tribe down. Oh, cool. In the, in the family truckster. <laughs> Happily done. Uh, we also have another email from Crash from Long Beach. Dear Steve, Brad, and Marty. Who's Marty? Marty? You. Oh, Marty. Right. I have. Oh, I love this letter already. I have to side with Brad and say that I truly love Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. In fact, I'm a huge Steve Martin fan and love most of his 80s work, except maybe Pennies from Heaven. Who are? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I, you know, I'll give you a pass for that one. Despite the fact that it was a remake... Who knew? It still stands on its own, thanks to the sheer comedy genius of Steve Martin. I say let Brad pick more topics. That's right, <laughs> folks. Coming up next, basic programming in the 80s, newspaper <laughs> delivery in the 80s, sad, pathetic social life in the 80s. That's all of us. <laughs> yeah, well. You can relate. Okay, moving on. I'm sorry. Enough about me. Best Halloween costume ever. When we were about 14 or 15, my best friend Kevin and I dressed up as Shampoo Man. We wore black pants and black turtlenecks and then proceeded to cover ourselves from head to toe in shampoo and foamy shaving cream. This makes no sense to me. The black clothes made the white foam stand out better, and we ran through the neighborhood terrorizing other trick-or-treaters, squirting them with shaving cream, or just giving them big foamy hugs. (laughs) I I don't get it. I don't. I'm. I, I'm. I'm gonna go with it because Crash is a, obviously a fan of my work. But I'm very confused. Uh, we didn't get much candy ourselves. We had a blast. 
Keep up the great work, Crash from Long Beach. You know, maybe if we go to that Vegas uh, concert on August 10th, maybe we uh, dress up as Shampoo Man. I I was planning on it because... actually after this. I you know nothing says uh, nothing says summer uh, desert heat like a black pants and a black turtleneck. Jeez. As always, you can send your uh, emails to Brad in the eighties at gmail dot com or Steve in the eighties at gmail dot com or s i t eighties at gmail dot com. Oh, the awkward theme to the segment we like to call "Stuck and Stuck in the Eighties." We will, as always, play you a snippet from a past podcast, um, as recommended by a reader. This week's podcast throwback is from 2007, I believe. So it's, what, six years old, two years after we started the podcast. It's our first ever interview with Martha Quinn of MTV fame. And she uh, proceeds to tell us about some of her more infamous interviews during her MTV years. Are you ready, Brad? Roll that clip. You got to do a ton of interviews back then. I'm just kind of curious, was there anyone who really sort of – I mean, we all know about the, the David Lee Roth interview you know, that you had that didn't go well. You know what? I was so young, and I was like, that David Lee Roth, all he does when he does interviews is he just dances around the questions. He doesn't answer anybody. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nail him. He's not going to get away with anything with me. And you watch that interview. It's so awful. He's like – yeah, blah blah blah, doing his David Lee Roth tap dance, and they cut to me, and I'm just sitting there like I'm <laughs> like I'm interviewing Osama bin Laden, and there, he must have been thinking, who in the world did they stick me with? Get me J.J. Jackson quick. <laughs> but uh, you know, I've since learned to love Dave's interview style, which is interviewer asks whatever they want, Dave replies however he wants. Were there any other interviews you had back then that were really stand out memory-wise that were really great stories? Or Well, you know, I interviewed Bob Dylan and everybody, oh, including wow. his children, who I met backstage, said, did you see Don't Look Back? He really doesn't like being interviewed, you know. I was so frightened of this guy, and he was so wonderful. He was great. I finally got to meet Paul McCartney, which was ah, a total dream, and he was, you know, completely wonderful. I almost found that the bigger the celebrities, the nicer they were. So, um, you know, Frankie goes to Hollywood. They came in and Mark actually interviewed them and they were total dicks. Wow. Totally. So, and Mark actually at one point said, look, do you guys even want to do this interview? I mean, what, you know, what's your deal? So, um, but the bigger guys, you know. So the bigger the star, they kind of treated you well. Yeah, because then they, they're not trying to pull some kind of trip. But that, that being said, you know, tons of newcomers were awesome too. Like, you know, the Go-Go's, who I'm still friends with, and and the Stray Cats, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I mean, most people were just absolutely great. But, you know, you tend to be great when the camera's on. Right. Did you hear Belinda's French album? I didn't hear it, though I do hear it right... Can you hear that noise? That... Uh-huh. Do you hear that noise? That it's being put into the sale racks at Tower Records. <laughs> Always amazing to hear from Martha. I suspect, hopefully, we'll get an interview with her again when the MTV book comes out this summer. Uh, hope springs eternal. Call us, Martha. Yeah. Uh, Alan Hunter would also be on my list of people to talk to if we get a chance. He, uh, I follow him on Twitter, and every once in a while he'll tweet me, so that's kind of a thrill. Anyway, we'll be right back after this commercial break. Who tried to buy a Chips Ahoy cookie without biting a chip? I'll reconstruct a crime. 
snack time. Someone spies a playful of Chips Ahoy cookie. He bites a chip. He tries again, but the chips are stacked against him. Original, chewy, and striped Chips Ahoy. I confess, I did it, and I'll do it again. Did you bite a chip? Ring Me Up by the Divinals, which is featured in what 80s soundtrack, Mr. Bradley? Uh, that's uh, in the soundtrack to My Dinner with Andre, right? No, 16 Candles. Oh. The, uh, the, that's John, close. The, classic, that's close. The, the very much a classic John Hughes movie that didn't have much of a soundtrack to it, but it uh, or didn't have an f- official soundtrack released. Yeah, I was going to say, we talked at some length about I know, the music I know. this movie. But, it's, our- it's, but Ring Me Up by the Divinals. And I swear to God, you would not know... It's a divinal song. The only thing I recognize is maybe the first, you know, few bars, but that doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, they had five or six albums in the eighties, didn't they? They, they had a lot. Busy. They have a lot more hits than they get credit for. I mean, they always get talked about for, you know, I touch myself. But you know, I think as we've proven during this podcast, there's a lot of songs they had that are a lot more familiar than than you thought. Well, I have to go back and give the catalog a listen because I you know must. I was racking my brain trying you to come up with. You must. You must do it for Australia, Brad. You know, we talked about Weird Science earlier, but I know there's some other 80s movies that might be getting reboots or remakes. Um, what's on your radar screen? Well, I just saw a thing in the on the web today that the National Lampoon's Vacation reboot that uh, was supposed to go into production this summer is maybe being delayed because there's some disagreement about what rating to shoot for, PG-13 or R. R. Clearly. Next issue. No, is, is this is the one that focuses on Rusty, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. That it's going to be so. Maybe calling it a reboot isn't quite right. It's like a uh, a relaunch. Well, maybe. it's been so long. A reboot's fine. Yeah. But uh, I, I'm all in favor of the idea. I mean, you know, Chevy Chase needs to eat too. That's true. I just reported this week on the never dying rumors of Ghostbusters three. <laughs> As with all things paranormal, I'm extremely skeptical about this film. <laughs> this thing has been a lot. I mean. The, We've been talking about this for five years now, I think. Well, and I refuse to acknowledge Ghostbusters 2 as an actual movie, so really it's Ghostbusters 2. Oh, criminy. I mean, Ghostbusters 2 isn't nearly as bad as, like, Police Academy 2 or... I've never seen it. Star Trek 2. I've never seen Ghostbusters 2. (laughs) Hey, Star Trek 2, you take that back. (laughs) Just kidding. But uh, Ghostbusters 3, the the problem is a script. I mean, they've got Dan Aykroyd's on board. He's on board for anything, anytime. Uh, If he's not pimping his vodka... (laughs) You know he's all in favor. That might be the problem. <laughs> he, he's always on board to, to for uh, extending his film career. And you know, God bless him. I, I love the man so much. Um, Ernie Hudson, uh, Harold Ramis. And, but the the question mark is always is Bill Murray. And Bill Murray is a slippery fish, and he refuses to commit to anything really until he's due on set. And so yeah. trying to get him on board is just going to be impossible until the last possible second. So they better come up with like the best possible script. But they ought to come up with the best possible script 
version 2.0 that doesn't involve Bill Murray because I would not be shocked if he does not show up. Yeah, yeah, he's a he's an odd duck, uh, and there's just no telling what they would need to do to kind of get him on board. God, they just had to throw much more money than they have, to be honest. Yeah, you know, my my mind just let it lie. I mean, I think they've wasted enough money already, but God knows if they make it, we'll go see it. Yeah, probably. Probably. What about Weird I Science? I say that with though? some chagrin. If Weird Science is remade and it's not made with anybody you know, do you go see it again? Uh, probably wait to catch that one. Uh, Redbox. Catch that one online. Yeah, maybe I'll stream that one when it's on Netflix. Me too. Anyway, I think that's not a bad return for 80s news now. Um, I hope not every future episode contains an obituary in it. But uh, it's nice to catch up on the news, and it's nice to have a special guest, uh, Dave Featherston. We can't wait to have you on the show again. Hopefully it's under uh, brighter circumstances. Bradley, my friend, get out of the bathroom. It's time to finish the show. Yeah, the the hot water's all run out. Stop tossing off. Hey. Oh, Gary! (laughs) In the meantime. You know my kids listen to this. (laughs) In the meantime, we all remain here together, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. (laughs) 